I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across Europe, MLS, or wherever else they play their club football. On today's show, we're going to break down the USMNT's recent friendly against Slovenia, and we'll also look ahead to their next window, which will be the Nations League finals in March. To help me do all of that, I've invited Paul Kennedy to join the show. Paul is the editor-in-chief and general manager of Soccer America. He began writing for Soccer America in 1974 and has been its editor since 1985. He started writing on soccer for France football in 1978 and has been on its Ballon d'Or jury since 2007. He resides in Albany, California, where Soccer America was founded in 1971. Paul, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoy being with you today. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to uh, you know getting your thoughts on this Slovenia match and then looking ahead to the next window. Let's let's start with the match itself, and I just love to hear you know what stood out to you from the match. What were, what were some of your takeaways? The first thing I'd say is you know a one lo- one nothing loss to a Slovenian team that had uh, 14 uncapped players is not is not a, a great sign for American soccer, no matter what the situation of who was available. Or who played, and even the fact that it's, uh, you know, a, a January camp early in the early, in, relatively early in January, where there was only a limited number of practice sessions beforehand. But you know, January camp has been around for a long time. It served its purpose for a long time. I think now it serves less of a purpose as uh, the national team today has become pretty settled with a core of players who are not going to be. Uh, unseated anytime soon and all those players playing in Europe and, and obviously were, were unavailable for this match. January camp sometimes has had sort of a second role, which is to help along the U23 team, whether it was qualifying or in this case, the team has qualified now for a, a couple of years um, ahead to the Paris Olympics. So the fact that uh, I think uh, nine underage players who made their debuts I think 10 players uh, altogether are eligible for the Olympics this summer. And, and so from that point of view, the match did serve a purpose of, of getting to see more of them. The, the team having had only two windows, I believe, of preparation matches since it qualified in 2022. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned all the you know young players that took place on, on both sides. I, I think I was expecting a, a sloppy game. Um, from from the U.S. because of the youth and because of all these players being thrown together and not having a lot of time to prepare, I, I didn't think it was so much a sloppy game though. It, they they seemed to more or less look like a kind of a Burhalter team out there. They they controlled possession most of the match. It was just really the the they were lacking some some finishing on some of the opportunities that they they got. But I thought. I, I was kind of surprised that it looked like there was a little bit more team cohesion than, than I expected on the field. And, and they were really pushing together for a goal at the end. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Did you think they looked like, you know, kind of in control of possession or, or, or did you think it was more sloppy? Um, I think, I think there was, except for the period of time around when Slovenia scored relatively late in the first half and for about five or 10 minutes after that, that was the only time where, the U.S. looked like it was going to uh, sort of lose control of the match. Um, yes, I think they had they had decent possession. At the same time, you know they had uh, any number of shots and goal, but but really, it wasn't like until until the last ten or fifteen minutes when um, some subs have been made that that, that the U.S. 
really looked like, you know, it was going to score. And so, you know, if the, if the match had ended in a tie, I think that would have been definitely a very fair result considering everything, you know, for giving up a very poor goal and, and for, then for, you know, the number of um, the chances it created, you know, so it was, I think it was only disappointing in the sense that still to, uh, you know, to lose to a team that itself was, was, was even less experienced in the U.S. was disappointing. But, you know, I think the other thing I said, it's hard to take a, a lot away from the game because except for the fact that it was experienced for uh, the U23 players, very few of those players in the immediate future are really going to have a national team future. I could see, you know, um, if we look ahead to the, the March window where you have the Comp Cup Nations League semifinals and final, maybe two guys that played on Saturday would be called up. I think Miles Robinson is still in the picture. I think Dewan Jones might get called up depending upon what Greg Berhalter does about dealing with Sergio Dest's suspension. Yeah, I want to talk about some of these, the players that, you know, kind of stood out, you know, both from the, you know, positive side and maybe the negative side. And um, you mentioned one right there that I'm interested in, Dewan Jones. What did you make of his performance in the match today or in the match um, this weekend? I, I, I thought it was pretty good. It sort of confirmed um, what we saw from him last year with the national team and what we've seen from him for a couple of years now with the New England Revolution. He gets up and down. He's relatively decent in possession. He's, uh, he can show he can cover defensively quite well. So from that point of view, he's, uh, you know, he, he showed what he's done before, which, which to me is what a player of his now um, experience of eight or nine caps somewhere around there is, is going to need to show. He's a player that's continued to impress me. Uh, I think I wasn't expecting much last year when he started getting called into camps, but I'm impressed with his athleticism. He looks like one of the best athletes on the field. Like you said, he gets up and down with ease. I, I think he can like improve on his, you know, um, kind of playing the final third around like his crosses into the box and, and things of that nature. But I think he's firmly in the competition for that, you know, backup, you know, left back role um, that, that kind of Christopher Lund is, is kind of in the picture with. I mean, do you think he, he can contend for, for that role? Yeah. Uh, yes. And I think also the fact that in the second half, when John Tolkien came in at left back, Jones moved to right back. The point being that I think uh, Berhalter wanted to see him at right back because to some degree, that's what he needs to decide is, does he bring in a second or, or in this case, a third right back like a Brian Reynolds, who's also U23 eligible for the March window? Does he bring in two? And then does he, you know, if he brings in an extra outside back, a fifth right back, I think uh, Dewan Jones will um, be the likely, the likely choice. Again, with all MS players, you know, we're dealing with the fact that they will have just started their MLS season. Um, have not played a lot of games, so from that point of view, that's going to you know be a, a factor that Greg Berhalter will keep in mind as he picks his team. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I didn't realize he had that versatility to play play on either side, and I think that'll help his his case out a lot. I mean, he's a right right footed left back to begin with, so I think uh, the question always has been why doesn't he just play him at right back? And I think that's been an issue at New England too. Why don't they just stick him the right side? So who are some of the other players that stood out to you 
from the match? Um, I think, you know, as far as from the U23 point of view, I thought Diego Luna played pretty well. You know, um, he created probably was involved in creating the best chance of the first half that Bernard Kamungo, uh, uh, um, you know, didn't put away. But, you know, he this was his first cap. He was not with the U23s last fall. He did have a great fall with uh, with Real Salt Lake. So from that point of view, I think he he was a player who needed to show that he's going to be in the picture for the U23s and definitely confirm that. I think Esmer uh, Baratorovic, um, you know, was sort of the, the revelation only because most people haven't seen him. He's only 18, was with the, was with the Revs playing some, not that much, last season in the second year. Did well with the U23s last fall, but really came on in the in the half hour he had in the game, especially later in the game, and you know, created a number of chances for himself. Or um, I think there's one play where he fed it to Jones, who played it in the box where um, Tolkien missed one of his two chances. But, you know, he's only 18. He's eligible for both the Olympics this summer and for the LA Olympics, you know, four years from now. So, you know, he's a player, probably a player to watch and, and uh, stood out. Again, a little bit, it's, you know, it's going to be a question of not only did what we see from the game, but what did Greg Berhalter and his staff see from the camp? They also had a closed-door friendly against River Plate. So all that stuff, we obviously didn't see what they saw. So I do know um, from some of the comments that the staff was impressed with Josh Atencio of Seattle. I thought he did okay. You know, um, he definitely is a player who, again, from his MLS play, of breaking into the Steiner lineup of a very experienced Sounders team has some potential. And I thought he, you know, I wouldn't say he stood out, but he, you know, I think he's a player, again, to watch a, a player who at the beginning of the year we, we might not have thought would be in line for an Olympic spot, but definitely uh, will uh, will be a contender. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of the guys that stood out to me. I mean, Diego Luna, he's so fun to watch, and you kind of got that. I thought he started off maybe a little slow, but then he started getting a lot more aggressive, and, and I kind of felt like if a goal was going to happen, it was going to be somehow through him, and, and a lot of the dangerous opportunities the U.S. had you know, did come through him. Uh, Esmir Bayraktarovic, I mean, I had never really watched him play before. What impressed me about him was how aggressive he was like inside the box, you know, the, the ability to like dribble, go at people one-on-one -on -one and like make things happen in like tight spaces in the box. I think there's very few players on the, even the U S men's, you know, senior a team that, you know, have the ability to do that. So that, that was exciting. Yeah. It, it was, it was really exciting to, 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 to watch those guys. What about some of the players that may be didn't seize the opportunity or maybe whose stock is going to go down a little bit because of this, this match in this camp. I think a little bit, the tough thing is that you had, you know, you had a couple of players who got a cap who you probably never thought a year or two ago would ever be in the picture. And you would imagine, you know, even if they had done okay, probably won't be in the picture in the future. And that would be players like Brian White who didn't show much, but even his uh, replacement, Duncan McGuire didn't show much. I thought Sean Sawatsky was a little bit surprised to start at center back. There were a number of other options. Played the whole 90 minutes. You know, the center backs are usually going to play that as they, uh, you know, use other positions to make subs. You know, I thought he uh, struggled at times. 
Patrick Schulte in goal was, you know, great for Columbus in the MLS playoffs. And uh, although he did look, uh, you know, he could have done better on the on the Slovenia goal. He could have been a little quicker, probably. I think there was one other play where there was a cross in the middle that he, he sort of struggled with. But um, right now, he's definitely in the picture for the goalkeeper position on the Olympic team. And I think the problem a little bit for for the staff is they don't know who's going to be available in the summer. They don't know what clubs will release players. They also don't know where, in some cases, where those players will be during the summer. So that puts the, the situation and goal quite up in the air, just like any number of positions. But I think Schulte right now would still be a, you know, a candidate to make the team and possibly start. What What do you think about Aiden Morris's performance. I mean, he's another guy that went the full 90 minutes. He's a guy I've been, you, you see him do so well in MLS. You hear so much about how he has the potential to, you know, be a, maybe a future star for the U S men's national team. I, I really haven't seen him make much of an impact in, in the, the matches he's played so far. I mean, I, I thought he was, you know, I'd see him around kind of cleaning up some loose balls and, and, and whatnot throughout the game, but didn't seem to have much of an impact to me. I mean, but what was your take on, on Aiden Morris's performance? No, I, I agree with you totally. Last year he was uh, with the Gold Cup team for the part of the tournament. You know, did okay, but I, but I think that uh, sort of to um, follow up on what you said is, is the key for a midfielder like that is to put his stamp on the game. And he's, you know, I've yet to see them say him do that. Obviously, in MLS, it's totally different. There's a lot more time, a lot more space in midfield. He also has playing next to one of the MLS's best midfielders in Darlington Nagby. So, you know, he has that. But I think in this case, applying for the U.S. where, you know, he has players of equal ability or equal experience. All three midfielders were uncapped or, or the other two midfielders were uncapped going into the game where, you know, he really, uh, you know, he could have done more. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, I'm sure have keep having some opportunities to, uh, to, to prove himself. Let's, let's look ahead to the USMNT's next window. Um, it's the nation's league finals, uh, in March, they'll play Jamaica in the, uh, semifinal there. So we have about two months until that match happens. What are some of the storylines you'll be you'll be following over these two months between now and then? I would say on the whole, the roster's well, the roster's pretty solid. When I say solid, it's pretty uh, pretty much set. At the same time, the lineup is too. So a lot of it's going to be issue of health and then of. Form. I would say so far this year, you had a lot of players on the team who have moved to new clubs. On the whole, most of them actually have done well in their new situations, either in terms of how they've played or they've moved to a new club, which is sort of a higher level, a more competitive, a bigger, more intense environment, and uh, may not have dominated, but have but but have have, have moved up in that sense. You know, obviously you have. Christian Pulisic playing very well at, at Milan. Uh, Weston McKinney surprising a lot of people to how well he's done this season at Juventus after being sent out alone last winter. But there are still any number of positions where things are up in the air. You have any number of players are up in the air. I mean, obviously, we'll see in the next week what happens to Gio Reyna, whether he moves to a new team. He's played on the whole 
quite well for the U.S. in the six games this fall. But obviously for Dortmund, he's, you know, he's played very, very little and, and clearly does not fit in their picture and he, he only wants out. So what happens there is going to be important for his future long-term and obviously for the national team too. In terms of this, you know, we uh, it would be very unlikely to see Tyler Adams back on the team by March. Uh, he was probably back at Bournemouth at the beginning of March, but it would be hard to see him, you know, getting back into the starting lineup in by the middle of March for the call-up for the games in uh, Arlington. But still, you know, longer term, what happens when, when he's back playing and healthy and playing well is going to be a big issue because you got Musa McKinney in midfield, Adams playing midfield, and you have and now we have Gio, who's you know pretty much a lock in the, in the starting lineup. To me, the questions are probably a little bit at center back. You know, you have uh, in the last window in November against Trinidad, uh, Berhalter stuck with Cameron Carter-Vickers and Tim Ream for both games. Chris Richards seemed to have moved ahead and and taken a starting job, having played very well in the the Nations League semifinals and final in Las Vegas last year. At that time, he wasn't playing much at all for Crystal Palace. He's now starting, starting regularly, although he's starting in midfield and the team is doing poorly. But the fact that he's playing and starting in the, in the Premier League, you know, is, is going to be a big factor. I think the question will be, you know, maybe not by March, but a little bit by the Copa America. And after that, it's going to be, you know, how Tim Ream, how long he's, you know, could hold up. You know, Miles Robinson, you know, we, we would have said two years ago was a locket to start the national team. Obviously, the injury set him back. I don't think he's a starter right now, but, um, you know, to some degree, that's to me is probably the most unsettled position. The center back also because it isn't like there are a lot of players competing to, to take their the, the spots of the four players I mentioned. You have Mark McKenzie, Austin Trusty, really no one on the U23s, at center back, Jalen Neal played pretty well last year, but he was young, then got hurt. So, you know, he's the only he's the only possible player down the road at this point that, that I would say we might want to look at. And obviously the question is what happens to Serginho Dest. You know, the, the roster situation is, according to the CONCAP regulations, 23 players need to be named 10 days before the start of the tournament. So it isn't like they can have 23 players for one game, take one player off, add Serginho for the, the, the third-place game or final. He's either on for the, for the whole part of the tournament or none at all. So a little bit the question is going to be, does Berhalter quote-unquote punish him or does he and not take him for his you know, outburst in Trinidad or does he take him and, and keep him for the final? I mean, he's he's... he's Done definitely well enough at PSV that you know he, he otherwise he would be a lock to start. Yeah, the Sergio Dest situation probably is the most interesting aspect for me leading up to the uh, finals. Um, you know, he's going to be one of the most in form players available. You know, starting week in week out at PSV, playing in the Champions League. But yeah, I'll be curious to see what Burhalter does um, if there's like any type of like punishment that he wants to uh, to lay down uh, for that. And, and what I'd add is obviously, you know, meaning uh, everyone sort of wondered what, what happened. And, and to me, you know, 
It wasn't the first time he's had an outburst like that. He got sent off at the end of, towards the end of the Mexico semifinal in Las Vegas at the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal. Again, in a situation where he, you know, he didn't need to get baited like he did. And he was almost like he was looking for a red card. So, you know, from that point of view, he now has a history of sort of letting things get to him. But also, I think the, the question is, you know, it was so over the top in what he did, of so overly upset over over what was you know a minor thing, which was a call not getting called, getting going his way, then a ball going out of bounds. That you know, you wonder if something else was going on, and that's something that you know obviously the the staff will 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 and Greg will will spend time talking with him, and also he's obviously at PSV where Ernie Stewart is in charge of the soccer operation there. And Ernie Stewart was the former sporting director of the Federation, Greg's former boss. So he'll obviously be able to provide him insight into how Serginho's doing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you do kind of get the feeling of like, you almost kind of hope the staff sat him down and said, hey, Serginho, what's going on, man? Because yeah, it does seem like something is going on to kind of change this behavior. Because um, you, know, you didn't see any of that you know, for a long time. And then in the last, you know, what, it, what was it? Six months or so of the year, you know, it happened several times. So let me ask you about one other um, kind of thing I'll be keeping an eye on. And that's this uh, striker uh, position. So I seem to hear when I, when I talk with people about the U S striker and then I kind of listen to debates about it, there kind of seems to be two camps. And one is that, Balogun is firmly entrenched as the starter, and uh, he's so far ahead of Pepe that you know there's really nothing to debate. And then there's this other camp that says, well, maybe Pepe has caught up to him because he's been scoring you know so many goals, and his performance in terms of productivity has been better for the U.S. as of late. I mean, where do you stand in in that do you, in that position battle between Balogun and Pepe? Do you think there's much of a battle there? Not. Not really in the sense of meaning, you know, Balogun with the U.S. and even Balogun and Monaco, even though everyone's talking about how he has been scoring a lot of goals, is still, I would say, a much more complete center forward than Pepe is, although Pepe has shown now with the U.S. in the last year, time and time again, and also with, with PSV, that, you know, if you want someone and need someone to finish a chance, uh, he'll do it for you. So I think in terms of, unless Pepe took over a starting job at PSV and was scoring like he scored in his limited time with PSV and off the bench with the U.S., I still think it's Balogun 1, Pepe 2, and four or five other guys, even if all, a lot of them are now scoring in Europe, you know, far down the list. Okay. That's fair enough. Well, thank you, Paul, so much for for being on the show. I'll make sure and put links in the show notes to your X account, which is at P-K-E-D-I-T, and also to your work at Soccer America. But before I let you go, any any final thoughts you'd like to share about the recent window we saw, the one upcoming, or anything else about the the USMNT? Um, I think it's just going to be a very interesting year between uh, the you know to have a Concord Nations League. Now in March, as opposed to uh, in June like before, and then the Copa America in June where you'll have three to as many as six games. So this will be the biggest test 
before the World Cup, obviously, the biggest test for and biggest challenge for Greg Berhalter um, and how the U.S. does will give us a great window into the the future of the team looking ahead to the World Cup and also whether or not, you know, Greg does stay on. Yeah, we have an exciting, exciting six months ahead of us, that's for sure. Thank you, Paul. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. And thanks to everyone for listening to Here and Abroad. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a fellow USMNT fan. I'm Frank Garza. You can follow me on X at Frank Garza 007, and I'll be back next week with a new episode.